Hi, and welcome to A-Squared Theories. Today, we will be discussing the plot and the important literary elements in Kurt Vonnegut's novel, Slaughterhouse-Five. So let's get on into it! Slaughterhouse-Five, published in 1969, takes place during World War II. However, the main character, Billy Pilgrim, jumps time frequently. When Vonnegut wrote the novel in 1969, it was during the Vietnam War. At the start of chapter 1, Vonnegut refers to his time in World War II and begins the novel by describing his experience in Dresden, Germany as a prisoner of war. The first chapter of the novel entails the content that Vonnegut wrote the story and how he has personal experience with war, for he was a prisoner of war himself. Vonnegut refers to the events of his post-war life and how his life has changed since the destruction of Dresden. So with that background information, let's head on into chapter two. According to Vonnegut, Billy Pilgrim is unstuck in time. He goes to sleep a widower and awakens on his wedding day. Billy has seen his birth and death many times, for he has the ability to time travel. Billy does not have control over when and where he travels to, and not all of his trips are necessarily pleasant. Vonnegut writes, Billy is spastic in time, has no control over where he is going next, and the trips aren't necessarily fun. Billy's history is given in this chapter, including that he was drafted into the war in Germany, and after the war, he had a nervous collapse. However, he then later married and had two children and became a wealthy optometrist. Unfortunately, Billy's wife dies of carbon monoxide poisoning while Billy is in the hospital after being involved in a plane crash. Can you imagine being the lone survivor from a plane crash and then finding out your wife has died? That's awful. I can't even fathom it. Ensuing his release from the hospital, Billy goes on the radio and claims that he was abducted by aliens called the Tralfamadorians in 1967 and that he was displayed in a Tralfamadorian zoo. However, his daughter, Barbara, thinks he's insane. If someone started talking about how they were in an alien zoo, who wouldn't think they were insane? After this, Billy time travels uncontrollably from decade to decade of his life to pleasant and unpleasant memories. Well, that sums up all of the craziness of Chapter 2. Let's get into Chapter 3. Chapter 3 starts with Billy jumping back in time to when he and Weary were captured by German soldiers. Billy then returns to his Ilium Optometry office in 1967 and has trouble recalling his age, what year it is, and communicating with his patients. This is when Billy starts to lose it and weeps when he jumps to 1967 again, where a Marine Corps major tells Billy that his son Robert is a great Green Beret. Billy fears that something traumatic will happen to Robert during the war like what happened to him. Billy then jumps time yet again back to when he and his other American soldiers were crammed into a stationary train for two days with little food, water, and ways to relieve themselves. On Christmas Eve, the train finally moves, but then Billy jumps time to when he was captured by Tralfamadorians. Woof, that was a lot of time traveling. It gets even messier in Chapter 4. The chapter opens with the story of how Billy was captured by Tralfamadorians on Barbara's wedding night. Jumping back to the train, Billy's friend Weary dies after nine days imprisoned there. However, Weary claims that it is Billy's fault for him catching gangrene and dying and asks for someone to avenge his death. The prisoners soon arrive at a prison camp and Billy meets Edgar Derby, a former high school teacher in Indianapolis, and Paul Lazaro 
who is out to get Billy for killing Weary. After this, Billy jumps in time yet again to when he was captured by the Tralfamadorians. Wow, it sure is hard to keep track of all this time travel, don't you think? Indeed it is. In fact, according to the Tralfamadorians, time is like a set of mountains. It doesn't change, nor does it have any meaning. What a strange theory. Well, Billy begins to question the aliens and claims that they do not believe in free will. In fact, Chapter 4 ends with the Tralfamadorians claiming that free will is a concept only used by Earthlings. The chapter starts with Billy traveling from the Tralfamadorian ship to his childhood and then to 1945 Germany. In Germany, Billy is still in prison with the other prisoners who have been trapped for years. The book then springs forward to 1948 where Billy is in a New York veterans hospital where he is in the nonviolent mental ward. In the bed next to Billy is a former infantry captain named Elliot Rosewater, who introduces Billy to the science fiction novels of Kilgore Trout. The two bond, but then Billy goes back to 1945 briefly, and then back to the Tralfmadorian Zoo, where he learns that they don't care about acts of murder and war on their planet, on planet Earth, but they all live in peace together on their own planet. Doesn't it seem a little weird that the aliens don't care about murder, yet they can somehow all live together in peace? Definitely. In fact, they introduce Billy to Montana Wildback, who who he makes love to, but then jumps time again to his home in Ilium. Back in prison camp, Lazaro threatens Billy that he will kill him for weary. However, Billy knows this is false because he dies on February 13, 1976, while speaking in Chicago about flying saucers and then being shot by a sniper. Back in 1945 Germany, the prisoners learn that they will be going to Dresden in a few days. As Billy walks through the crowd of people in Dresden, he realizes that all of these people will be dead in a month. Chapter 6 ends with the prisoners being taken to their new home, a former pig house, called Slaughterhouse 5. At the start of Chapter 7, Billy has jumped time yet again to 25 years after the slaughterhouse and is now on a plane with his father-in-law, Lionel Merble, the same plane they are on in Chapter 2. He is headed to an optometrist convention, but this plane he is on is going to crash, and he knows it, but he doesn't want to say anything because he is afraid he will look foolish. Well, of course he's worried. Why would anyone believe such a prediction? I know I wouldn't. This plane is a wild ride from the beginning with a barbershop quartet and Lionel actually being a machine rather than a human. Everything about this plane seems to be very mysterious and alien-like. Yes, it is, and Billy knows it too. Right when the plane is about to crash, he closes his eyes and zooms in time to 1944, where he last left off in the war in the Luxembourg Forest. Yes, he does this and leaves everyone on the plane to die besides himself and the co-pilot. In this plane crash, Billy merely suffers a fracture in his skull. But the strangest part about this is when the rescuers get to him, he tells them his address is Slaughterhouse 5. Hmm, I wonder if that has anything to do with the title of this novel. It is entirely possible that Billy is so mixed up from the war that he believes the slaughterhouse where he was kept as a prisoner is his actual home. It is definitely true that Billy is getting all these different timelines jumbled up in his head. For when he makes it through the plane crash, he believes he is in some part of World War II, when he was really in the middle of a ski lodge. Being so messed up, Billy has to undergo brain surgery and sleeps for days. I wish I could sleep for days. However, Billy's sleeping leads him to have dreams about his first memories at the slaughterhouse and memories of Dresden about a month before it is bombed. This is not the kind of sleeping I would want. Me neither, 
Poor Billy has to travel to terrible events in time, and even when he doesn't actually go to them, he has to dream about them. Chapter 7 leaves off about a month before the Dresden bombing, but next thing you know, in Chapter 8, it is two months after the bombing, and a man has come to the slaughterhouse to try to recruit prisoners for the American Corps on the Russian front. Man, Billy can't catch a break. He only ever seems to when he's traveling. And this time, he does not have to stay in his timeline for long, because before you know it, he is going back to a conversation he had with his daughter, Barbara. These two are discussing the Trough Midorians and Kilgore Trout, who Barbara believes is who got Billy into the Trough Midorian ways. This mention of Trout, of course, takes Billy back to a scenario with him when he invites him to attend his 18th wedding anniversary party. Ah, yes. And aren't the same barbershop quartets who died in the plane crash there as well? Yes, and that is exactly why Billy must leave the room and begins to wonder why the quartet has such an effect on him. He cannot wonder too long as now he is traveling to Trafalgar. Chapter 9 now cuts to Valencia, Billy's wife, driving to the hospital to see Billy after the plane crash. This is the tragic part. Valencia is so shaken about Billy's accident that she gets into a car accident herself but she keeps driving for she wants to see Billy. However, this is a terrible mistake. She drives with a broken exhaust pipe and soon died from the carbon monoxide. Billy, unconscious and lying in the hospital bed, does not know about his wife's death and just keeps traveling through time. He soon wakes up and is ready to tell the world about Tralfamador and his ability to time travel. Only the professor in the bed next to him does not want to hear about it. Billy then travels back to Dresden and recounts time from the war, only to end up back in the hospital bed again, ready for his daughter to come pick him up. This is getting hard to keep up with. Billy is now home from the hospital and decides to go to New York to inform the world about Trafalgar. When in New York, he finds Kilgore Trout's book and begins to read them and spread the word. He then travels back to Trafalgar and discusses with Montana Wildhack his time-traveling habits. In the last chapter of this novel, Billy begins to list deaths one after another, tragic ones such as Martin Luther King Jr. Yes, he does, but so it goes, right? Exactly. Billy talks about the trial from a doorway and how no one ever actually dies, but they just keep living the same situations over and over again. Suddenly, Billy is back in Dresden helping with the cleanup of the destroyed city, and the war is finally over. The birds are chirping. One even says to Billy, Pootoweet? Now it's time for the literary elements. First, we will be talking about Vonnegut's use of symbols in Slaughterhouse-Five. The zoo in the novel Slaughterhouse-Five exhibits situational irony and symbolizes the things wrong with society that we are oblivious to. For instance, the zoo cages are fit with the contents of an entire department store, even though the people living in them are technically prisoners. This shows that the aliens view society's reliance on material items as pointless because what is the point of having material items if you don't have anyone to share it with? The zoo is also ironic because Billy finds more psychological freedom in the zoo than he has had his whole life, even though he is supposedly trapped there. Billy learns here that free will does not exist. For the Trophlamadorians, but it is merely a concept used by just earthlings. Billy feels resolved from his actions, resulting in an elimination of the pain and mental suffering he was facing. Vonnegut uses the zoo to put into perspective the things that Billy thought were important 
and shows him that there is more to life than material things. The zoo is ironic because although he is technically a prisoner, Billy feels more free here than anywhere else. Vonnegut uses certain phrases in this novel as coping mechanisms. The phrase, so it goes, is the most prevalent one that is used every time someone dies. Anytime Billy is describing the death of someone famous, someone in the war, or even a loved one, he says, so it goes, right after. This is his way of saying bad things happen, and we just have to deal with it, and life goes on. It also reveals Billy's belief that no one ever really dies. Everyone is just stuck in a timeline and will live eternally, repeating the same situations. Billy never really mourns the death of anyone because he does not think it is worth it to cry over someone who is still alive. Pootui is yet another symbol we find in the novel. The bird who sings out Pootui at the very end of the novel symbolizes a new life. Billy is cleaning up the aftermath of the Dresden bombing and the birds are chirping as happy as can be. They symbolize the new world that can be born on the grounds of Dresden in the hope that can now be established since the war is long over. Animals do not comprehend the devastation the bombing left behind, and can only look forward into new happy living things. Slaughterhouse-Five has a myriad of themes portrayed in the novel. However, the one that stuck out to me the most was that having the ability to be all-knowing of one's past, present, and future can be a dangerous thing. Throughout the course of the novel, we watch Billy's state of sanity dwindle away as he jumps from year to year. Billy begins to mix up what happened when, how old he is, and his relationships with people because he travels time so often. The frequent and uncontrollable time travel takes a toll on his mental state, and his loved ones begin to think that he is insane. When Billy tells Barbara that he was captured by the Trophmadorians, she thinks he is crazy. He also begins to lose his, human- his humanity in this, for he keeps re-experiencing painful deaths of his loved ones, and with that, he loses empathy and what makes us human. When people die, such as Martin Luther King or Weary and his wife, he merely says, and so it goes, instead of coping with his emotions. Although one might think that being able to jump time is a gift, Vonnegut reveals in his novel Slaughterhouse-Five that one must be careful of what they wish for. Well, that pretty much sums up the plot of Slaughterhouse-Five and its important literary elements. And if you thought this book was hard to keep track of all the time traveling, tune in next week for our discussion of the book Beloved. This has been A Squared Theories. Well, see you next time. Bye!